guys, welcome to Nathan K. Gingerbread Podcast. On the couch today, we've got Daniel Daggers, US ambassador for Knight Frank, sold over $3.5 billion worth of real estate. Uh, Daniel, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I suppose what people want to know is, what is Mr. Super Prime? What does Super Prime mean? How did you get into real estate? Tell me about this football journey that you want. I know you want to become a footballer. Yeah. Tell us about sort of just growing up from sort of the ages like 15 to maybe getting into your first job. Okay, there's a lot. There's a lot that I have to tell you there. <laughs> We've right? got plenty of time, and okay. everyone's watching. So, so, so first, I just want to thank you because you reached out to me. I really appreciate the opportunity of going out to your audience, sure. and speaking to you, and just sharing my story because I never thought I'd be doing anything like this, right? Ever. Um, okay, so essentially, I'm just an estate agent. Yeah. Um, I've been in the real estate business since I was about 17 and a half. Not that I'm counting half years, but I haven't <laughs> got the exact date. Um, and I fell into it, tried to become a professional footballer. That didn't happen, broke my collarbone. I knew in my heart of hearts that I probably wasn't going to be good enough. Uh, I didn't have the physical capabilities. I couldn't run fast enough. I wasn't strong enough, all this sort of stuff. Um, and my sort of parents prepped me for that, um, went to school, had a decent education, but I didn't really strive at school. Uh, was, I didn't engage with a lot of the a lot of the things that they taught you at school and how they teach you yeah. um, and so I didn't excel there and um, I went to study surveying because I didn't get the sufficient GCSEs to go into the A-levels at university oh, Wow! so I did a, B, a GMVQ in business worked in a, a local estate agency for two weeks licking stamps and envelopes and all that sort of stuff and making teas and coffees the good stuff yeah, good stuff. Actually, <laughs> best, the best, whenever, whenever anyone asks me what's the best tip, I would say whenever you start a new job, whenever your boss asks you to make a tea or a coffee, yeah. make the worst tea or coffee possible <laughs> Great bit and they advice. will never ask you again. 100%. Right? So I did that. Then I was studying this surveying course in, uh, in Neesden of all places and I broke my collarbone playing football with some mates, lost my contract that I was hoping to go for, um, for the team that I was playing with. And, and it just, just all fell apart. I just thought to myself, well, I just got to get my teeth stuck into work. Just, take, just going back to when you said you wanted to play football, and mm. I've come from a similar sort of story, but maybe you know, yours is obviously different. Where you said that yeah. you felt that your body wasn't maybe conditioned or you didn't have the physical capabilities of doing it. Yeah. Do you think that you were just told that? as a child, or do you think that you were told that by people and that's what then you decided to believe at and a young age? That environment of, the environment of growing up yeah. sets your targets and your goals, right? So if my dad had been a professional footballer, I probably, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have been more committed, but I may have done things slightly differently, yeah. maybe. My dad was a kitchen designer, right? He has a really colorful background. Mm -hmm. He was a kitchen designer. So he would take me to, to the park and Literally, I had so much energy. My dad just called me Banana Boy, right? Because I was just, so, I was so energetic. Yeah. I'd just go to the park, kick balls up in the air, and I used to have to try and control them, right? Yeah. So te technically, I was great because my dad focused on stuff like that. But I just wasn't a fast runner. Yeah. And at the time, it was all about how fast you could run, mm -hmm. how strong you were, and how long you could run for. And I was never really, I was, I could run a lot, like yeah. I was fit. I was super thin, I was super skinny, mm -hmm. um, I had quite big legs and it would be able to propel me, so I used to be able to do a lot of running, yeah. but 
uh, when I beat one man, I'd have to beat him again because he'd catch up with me, right? <laughs> so so it, well, I just didn't have that physical prowess that you needed at the time. Nowadays, probably if, if I was 16 now, yeah. I'd probably be a better talent because people would appreciate my mindset mm -hmm. and how I read the game and, and how I pass the ball so would you and think things like that. So would you think you would have a better opportunity playing football now than yes, you did back then? definitely. But yeah. timing is everything. That's what they say, right? <laughs> yeah. Timing is everything. And so... And also we didn't have the same opportunities we've got now, right? So if I don't have what your audience, how old your audience is and where they're from, but they've Between got 25 and 35. Okay, fine. So they've got an opportunity. If they're younger than that, they've yeah. got an opportunity to listen to some people to give them the framework of what they need to do to get into the line of work that they want to get sure. into, right? So now there's young kids out there who are 14, 15, and they can listen to professional footballers podcasts yeah. and get a really good understanding of what it takes to become a professional footballer. Yeah, we didn't have that opportunity. No. My dad was an ex, you know, like playing rugby, like kicking the ball about, and then would kick the ball about with me. Yeah, and it was all about work. Like, and, then it was, and then it was all about, and then it was all about work. Like I threw myself into work. Tell me about this, this journey at Night Frank. You've been at Night Frank a long time. Yeah. And how, what was your first role at Night Frank? So uh, I've been in the business for 21 years. Uh, I started at 17, 18, whatever it may be, in a small company called Vickers & Company in Maidavell, which is like a small West London um, neighbourhood that I also grew up in. And um, I was given a desk. There's your desk. There's a fax machine. There's a telephone. There's a card box. Go and sell property. I mean, that's what, that's what it was. And it was a real rude awakening. Like, I was extremely nervous. I remember being a spotty teenager going in there and, like, and just be giving a telephone number and say, go and sell, you know, a hundred thousand pound apartment, two hundred thousand pound apartment. And you know, my mum's cooking for me and and washing for me and I've never sold anything in my life, right? Um, in fact I applied for a job at, at, at one of the sports brands as a sales assistant and I didn't get and I didn't I didn't get that job either. So I worked in this small company, worked there for ten years. I loved them, they were like my family. My parents subsequently moved abroad and they were like my family. Yeah. But I got to a point where I felt that I was growing within the business. I was 26. I wanted to press the business forward. I felt that I was doing really well and I wanted to become a partner of the business, but they didn't, they were, they, they just, there was friction there and they weren't prepared to do that. And so I sought a new journey and that was very difficult. And there was some tears involved because I really loved the guys there. And sure. Um, my, the boss of the business, a guy called Stephen Vickers, gave me my opportunity and only a couple of years ago he passed away and, and recently I sold the most expensive house, terraced house in London and I dedicated that sale to Stephen because nice. he, um, he gave me my opportunity. And so um, after that sombre note, I worked there and then Knight Frank was sort of flirting with me and it was a big business. They're in St. John's Wood, more expensive property, more exposure. It's 2007, market's about to tank. Yeah. Um, and I thought to myself, if I'm gonna go and do something, 27 is quite a good age to go and try and propel myself forward. I had a lot of energy again. And I got an opportunity to either work in a small business as a partner. Yeah. So very similar to the business I was working in, or go to Knight Frank or go somewhere else. And Knight Frank gave me an opportunity to either work in the markets between four million to 10 million pounds. Mm -hmm. That's how they subdivide their offices with their staff. Um, or between uh, one million to four million pounds. And I thought to myself, well, if the market does tank, the people with money will recover more quickly. And therefore I want to go into the more expensive bracket 
because I think I have a better opportunity to trade. And I made some mistakes. I went there. I made some mistakes. I remember taking a phone call and totally quoting the wrong price because it went from it went from normal numbers of like a million pounds or you know, two hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, seven hundred fifty to like fourteen million pounds. <laughs> yeah. I sort of lost the amount of zeros that I could you know really consume. Um, and figuring out the commission on stuff like that was just like where do all these zeros go? You know. But thankfully, I'm a quick learner. And I went there, didn't do a deal for six months. Uh, market's crashing. It's super tough, super difficult. And then I went on a bit of a spree. And I remember, I remember going to our monthly meetings where all the local offices congregate and I was the only guy doing deals. Wow. Why do you think that was? Uh, because I was 11 years into the business. People yeah. underestimated me because I looked young. Mm-hmm. And I was very good at my job. What does it take to be a good agent? Like, let's not talk about the super prime stuff. I'm just about, let's just, what does it take for anyone out Firstly, there at the moment? it's the same skill set, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be a people person. You have to understand people. And not everyone is that person. And sometimes you can train people. Sometimes you can't. Um, you need a lot of energy. You need a lot of empathy. I need to be able to understand what you are thinking and how you are feeling. Yeah. So empathy is quite high up there. Um, and be extremely good at communication and understanding the circumstances are at play. So if you do something wrong with that buyer, they might not do business with you. And I think a lot of young people in the business world don't understand that there are circumstances mm-hmm. that, that play out if you do things wrong. Right? When you say do things wrong, do you mean like maybe not telling the truth or maybe sort of blagging something and not, you know, if somebody asks a bit of all information? Of the stu- all of the stuff that, that, that I would tell someone not to be doing, like, Always tell the truth. Yeah. Always, you know, choose good. Always try and give someone the right advice. It shouldn't affect your pocket. Your advice should be natural. Yeah. yeah there shouldn't be a bias, even though there is a bias because you want to sell something. Of course, but you need to play long game. Yeah. Right. I was never in a position where I would grab at deals. Yeah. But I would look at opportunity, and then I would say to myself, and I recently posted this on my Instagram account, that that being a real estate agent, a broker, realtor, whatever you want to call it, is not a blow up in one year. Uh, profession, yeah. right? So you need a community of people to stay with you for a decade or two to support you in your business, yeah. right? And and therefore you need to treat people the way you'd like to be treated. So it is about building relationships, like, like everyone is a friend. So in the US, they've got a model where your realtor, your agent, is yeah. like your best friend for life. That's well, because they because you 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 are a considerable amount of value to that broker. Yep. They make a lot of money out of you. They yep. realize that you are an extremely valuable asset for them. And then they build relationships. And then those relationships turn into friendships. And those friendships turn into whatever it may be. Do, you, so, feel, yeah. do you feel in this country that agents don't build those relationships? They just sort of, they, they focus on the transaction? Uh, I don't mean all, I mean just in, I just think, like in general. I think both sides of the Atlantic, uh, they could learn. I'm really fortunate where I've traveled the globe now, literally. Yeah. I mean, from Africa to Australia to um, Vancouver, Los Angeles, wow. Miami, uh, New York, uh, Sweden, Germany. Like, I've been Italy, south of France. I've been to a lot of places. And also, whenever I go on holiday, I try and find a local representation to show me the best asset they could. Wow. So I get a good taste of the market there. And therefore, I know a little bit about a lot. Yeah. Um, and I can benchmark how people go about doing business and then I can start taking little pieces from lots of people because I like learning from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that 
the real estate business is going to go through a massive change. Yeah. We're in it now. We are 100% in it. If there's any real estate agents listening to this podcast or watching this, yeah. then you better get your personal branding down super quick yeah. and get your digital footprint up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I've been championing for three years now. It's vitally important. I think that to come back to your question, the US brokers do brokerage very well. Yeah. And because they're so highly incentivized, maybe it can have an impact on the information that they deliver. Sure, but then- Or how they deliver it. Yeah. But um, the way they really fully facilitate their clients as a, as a single point of contract, uh, contact, excuse yeah. me, is very sensible. And you become a private banker for their real estate. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. Here in the UK, you're pinned to location to office. Yep. I think that will naturally loosen up. I mean, yep. I travel the whole of London, support the ultra worth across the whole of London and the globe yep. with all your real estate assets. So maybe I'm the first of what will be many. Do you, so going back to that, where you say that the, the agent, the broker in the US gets paid, is very highly incentivized to mm-hmm. sort of give a great service. That reflects in this country as well, where look, agents should be able to charge a lot more money because if they deliver a great service, does that not make sense? Where not, you, you do uh, look, pay so, what you get. I'm, so I'm not, well, I never look at the bottom line, okay? I don't look at how much money I'm gonna earn out of this. So I work on a bonus at the end of the year, I have mm-hmm. a salary of bonus at the end of the year, which is like really foreign for a lot of people, so it's particularly in our world yeah. where everyone works on commission. It has given me a very good mindset about maintaining clients and friends and customers for long duration and not thinking about the decimal point. Um, I never look at what we call our 106, which is what we build at the end of the year. I don't look at my targets. I never look at my targets. I'm not interested in Why is that? Why is that? Why do you not look at your targets? Because I'm Usain Bolt when it comes to what I do, right? (laughs) And so so Usain Bolt, let's look at, this is a bit of banter, right? But if Usain Bolt's been training for 21 years, right? And he's at the start line, okay, and it's the world championships and it's the final. I can tell you, when the gun goes off, Usain Bolt is going to sprint as fast as he possibly can, Mm -hmm. right? He's going to go, he's going to implement his whole tactical strategy and hard work into that nine seconds of sprinting. He's going to give it all. He's not going to look to one side to see where his competitors are. Mm -hmm. He's not going to look either side to see where anybody is, outside his office, inside his office, whatever it may be, right? He's not even going to focus about what time he's sprinting. He's going to run hell for leather, right? And he knows, because he's done it over the years, that if he does his best, he will get to the finish line before everyone else, right? Yeah. That's how I feel. Like I've trained for 21 years. Sorry, this is, this is how I feel about things, right? If I continue to implement my strategy over yeah. how to do business, mm-hmm. which I, by the way, want to share with as many people as I possibly can, yeah. because it's not about me, it's about other people, then... I will be able to create hundreds, tens, hundreds, thousands of top professionals in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that that's how you should be doing it. I don't, I'm not driven by targets no. or what I need to hit after three months. No, it's because good. the way I look at it for young people in the industry, because I'm very focused on the young, it's a young business now, you need energy, is I don't want to tell a guy you have to hit a quarter of a million pounds in fees in the first three months. Right, because if I do that and he's at two hundred and thirty thousand, and he's got a deal that could that could make thirty thousand, yeah. 
but he pulls the trigger too quickly, mm -hmm. he could miss the target. Yeah. I don't want him to miss the target. I want him to do the right thing at the right time. Yeah. And by giving people targets and then focusing on the target sometimes too aggressively, mm -hmm. it's not healthy. No, fair enough, I like that. Going back to your, the most expensive property in London, what, what was this property? Well, the most it, expensive it, property in London, but, but so recently, I mean, I can, I can give you this information because it's, it's been in, it's in the news. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I share very little about <laughs> names and what I'm doing for clients, right? But um, uh, not long ago, about nine months ago, I sold what was London's most expensive terraced home okay. to, um, to a, a billionaire from the US. And it was reported to have sold for 95 million pounds. Wow, 95 million. Yeah. I mean, my first deal was 87,000 pounds. Yeah. 21 years ago, right? So it's been a bit of a journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, similar dynamics, but, but a lot of different things take place. Of course. But it took me three years. To get that deal through. From meeting the guy, yeah. That's incredible. And we were very astute with our purchase. Um, we saw everything in the marketplace. I opened doors that some people can't open. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was it was it was a it was probably um, the pinnacle of my career. Amazing, but there's more to go. Hundred percent, there's more to go. Yeah, yeah. So pinnacle so far, but not the pinnacle, pinnacle in so total. Far, but 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 one thing I can tell you is that doing a massive deal like that yeah. is great, mm -hmm. and it's like a little badge of honour. Yeah. Right. Um, but it isn't the thing that makes me happiest. What does make you happiest? I like, I like, uh, I like being, um, I like affirmation. Mm -hmm. I like people wanting to do business with me. I like people respecting me. I like yeah. people um, asking for advice. And um, I want to share my knowledge. That makes me really happy. If I can, if I can help other people, yeah. that makes me super happy. So if someone can inspire me, I feel really happy about that. I find inspiration in everything that I possibly can do but also about three years ago, two and a half years ago, I realized that there wasn't as much that was as inspiring me around me. Mm -hmm. And I also felt that that may be the time in my life where I need to choose to inspire. Yep. Um, and I think that people that, that, that have a lot of experience now have a moral obligation to the youth of this world and to other people who are willing to listen yeah, sure. to, to help teach and advise and, and maneuver around difficult times because we have the experience to share. Yeah. And I, we have a moral obligation to do that. That's nice, that is, I like that a lot. Yeah, so, I think anyone with a, with a strong moral compass is gonna really like that. And if you don't like that, then, then I think there's something wrong with you. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> no, I love that. I think it is all about giving back. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is massive value for people because people will look up to Daniel Daggers and go, I want to be like Mr. Super Prime. Which, which I would love, by the way. Yeah, of course. It's so, well, yeah. who wouldn't love it? It's yeah. so nice. Yeah. How did the name Mr. Super Prime come about? <laughs> is it something you gave yourself? No, no, no. Um, um, it was purely tactical. Yeah. Um, really good. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really astute when it comes to business. Like I think about everything. I think about all the parameters that we're working within. Mm -hmm. What I found is, uh, we'll come to the social media thing in a minute. Sure. What I found is school teaches you like this. Yeah. Okay. These are the parameters that we want to teach you. So you will bounce through your life going through these parameters, right? And in the way there'll be there'll be stumbling blocks and people and companies and so on and so on. So for you to get from 
starting to super successful, you have to navigate around all these people. But if you go outside these boundaries, and I drew a diagram of this and I showed it to some young kids that I work with, if you go outside these boundaries, so for instance, if we go left, this is creativity. Mm -hmm. And if we go right, this is hard work. If you're able to go into these slipstreams where there's nothing in your way necessarily, you can motor so much faster. Yeah. Okay. So three years ago, I saw social media as like a really interesting space where practically I could communicate with thousands of people mm-hmm. for free. Yeah. I know my business spends millions of pounds advertising our customers and clients' properties yeah. in papers. And I remember three years ago or so, I work in this beautiful office that a friend of mine owns where there's about 7,000 professionals that work in it, okay? Our business has a thousand people on three floors of it. And at the bottom, there's two lift shafts. And at the bottom, there's two exits. And right beside the exits, there is a little plastic container that holds the evening standard newspaper, which as a kid, I used to read a lot. Yeah, I used to start on the back page with the sports. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, and I, I'm friendly with the security there. There's a guy called Andrew. He's this lovely guy and, and other people. And, and I'd say to them every night, how many papers left in the in the plastic box. Yeah. And you go, oh no, it was full. So I had to go to recycling. And I started to realize, like, well, no one's reading newspapers or, or, or the percentage of people that are reading newspapers is, is falling drastically. Sure. Because everyone's consuming their content from their mobile phones. And where are they spending their time on their mobile phones? Well, on the social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter. I was like, okay, that's quite interesting. And then I started to look at the advertising world and saw that, well, TV is all on demand now, so I'm choosing what I want to watch. I'm not seeing as many adverts because they're really annoying, yeah. right? Particularly the Sky Sports app, yeah. right? Sky Sports app, whenever you push to see a, a video, there's like a 45 seconds worth of adverts. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested in seeing that. So then there's that. Then there's newspapers and magazines that we don't really pick up, mm-hmm. or I do maybe if I'm on a plane. Um, and the radio, I'm listening to on demand. Yeah. So I'm not consuming as much marketing as I once was before. So I need to be in a place where people can see me and lo and behold, we have them and they're in our hands. Mm -hmm. So I thought I need to go through a digital implementation of my profile because if people don't know who I am, then they're never going to appoint me and then they don't know whether or not I'm good or what I do. And I think I'm exceptional. Sure. Right. So all I need to do is get myself in front of people and then hopefully they'll make a decision that I'm a good human and want to do business with me. So I implemented my strategy, which was very, very difficult because at the time, no one had professionalized Instagram from a real estate perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, my first exposure when I realized it started to work was I went to a building called 432 Park Avenue, which is currently the tallest residential building in the world in New York that overlooks Central Park. And I went up to, I got invited as a select group of five brokers from across the planet. Wow. And um, I said brokers because it's America, Mm -hmm. agent, whatever you want to call it. And we went up a side lift. It hadn't been finished. So we went up an external lift. (laughs) That had to stop halfway and then went into another one. So that took five minutes to get to the top of this building. And I got to like 70th or 80th floor and it was freezing because the windows weren't in. (laughs) So I'm up there and I thought to myself, oh no, the windows were in this time. I'm sorry, the windows were in. And it was a bit of a cloudy day, but I thought to myself, oh my God, how honored I am to be here, right? Yeah. This is an incredible thing. Like no one's really been in here yeah. or you have to have a net worth of 
$200 million to be here and there's, there's Daniel, Daniel Daggers from May of L. So I go onto Facebook and Facebook just brought out Facebook Live. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get my ugly mug on this. I'm going to try it out. Yeah. So I click onto it and I go around and then people start coming onto the platform and then there's hearts going up. People going, no oh my way. God, oh my God. And I was like, oh wow, this is, this is quite this. <laughs> I mean, I look terrible, but like, who cares? This is quite fun. Yeah. So I did it. And then I closed it, went down and went out for dinner with um, the owner of Douglas Settlement, which is one of the biggest uh, brokerage companies and our partners in the US. They've got 10,000 brokers or something. And he's a great guy, Howard. And I look at my Facebook page, and this is my personal Facebook page, and I've got like 20,000 views. Wow. Or just something bonkers, yeah. right? And half the people, or no, a few people on it were ultra high net worth going, oh, I've got to show my husband this. Yeah. So I thought to myself, wow, yeah. the impact is unbelievable. So powerful. So I came back, and also I saw the American brokers who are great, like Americans are great. You, you know, we laugh at, at how they tend to communicate uh, pieces. First class. But they are brilliant. Yeah, they, they are. They are absolutely brilliant. So I get a lot of inspiration from like the US and when I travel. And they were with their mobile phones, doing a social media thing, and it was like a lot of posing, and bits and pieces. And I thought to myself, well, when I get back, I'm gonna start my professional Facebook page and Instagram account. And I'm going to flip it on its head. I'm going to do 80% work, yeah. 20% personal, mm -hmm. and let's see how we get on. And the head of marketing of our business at the time, Fiona O'Keefe, who's a lovely woman, and, and I'm very fond of her. She really set me on my way. Um, she really helped me. Um, set it all up, and I went for it. And I absolutely went for it. And I know people who know me well, I was a definite topic of conversation at dinner, right? It was like, what is he doing? And and I got a bit of grief. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I got, well, not a bit of grief. I got a lot, a lot of grief. Of grief. <laughs> yeah. But I was, then, I was then listening to conversations of other agents pitching to their clients, and their clients would be talking about me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, great. Sweet this, this is airtime. This is exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, so I doubled down on it, and then I thought to myself, well, I need to uh, land grab, I need to land grab this, right? This space. So I doubled down, I did loads of it uh, on Instagram. My Instagram handle was Daniel underscore daggers. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be on there sorry, anyway. Sorry, I'm sure, but thank you. It'll be on there. Sorry, sorry, shameless sure. plug. And then, um, <laughs> and, and then I thought to myself, well, I, I want to create a hashtag because that's going to get even more tongues wagging, and then it's multiple ways of people finding me. Yeah. Right, so if someone hits hashtag Mr. Super Prime, they're going to hit me, yeah. and it's going to get a lot of tongues wagging. So people, newspaper articles written about it, and bits and pieces like that. And I was like, great, this is just another way of someone getting hold of me. Right, yeah. it's just an awareness piece. And so I did that, and I've been doing it for three years, and I can tell you now that it is definitely if not the best thing I've ever done. I mean, I mean, look, before I, I was behind the corporate brand, the veil, and I think responsibility in this world is vitally important. People shirking responsibility, yeah. I don't. And I want people to know who I am so we can go and execute business together. Uh, and if I put my face on camera and that is my account, then I have to continue to do business and I have to be a good person. Tell me about what the private... Otherwise, it will bite me in the butt. Yeah. Right? That's the <laughs> sure. point, right? That's the point. No, agreed. Tell me a little bit more about um, 
what the private office is? Because there are people out there that know who Knight Bank are, know mm-hmm. who you are, but what's the private office? So private office is a group of individuals who are well qualified in the real estate sector. And we support the ultra high net worth individual or family office mm-hmm. with their real estate needs, whether it be residential or commercial, whether it would be in London or in the UK or overseas. Okay. And it's like a private office. A lot of very wealthy people have private offices where they surround themselves with people that they employ yeah. who are experts in their field. Mm-hmm. We're just like a bolt on to those people. What? Give me an idea, give the people an idea of what Daniel Daggers does on a daily basis. So what's your, what, what does your typical day look like? So uh, you're not based in a high street office, are you? So my, got- my, my, days are, my days are super different. Yeah. So this morning I woke up at 6.15, went to the gym, um, came back, had a shake, got ready. My dad's over to visit. He's staying in my spare room. So I had a chat with dad. Um, then went to the office. Um, what did I do this morning? I've done so much, sorry. <laughs> um, had a meeting at head office. Then I walked down to the Connaught Hotel, had a meeting with Tej Alvani, who is a dragon yes. from Dragon's Den. Of course. He's been a client of mine for eight years. Nice. I advise him on a lot of real estate stuff. Um, I can't tell you what we spoke about, but he was on my Instagram this mm-hmm. morning. Um, then I've come here. I had someone look at a property for, um, for 39 million pounds this morning. I couldn't be there. So the principal and owner of the property showed the person around for me. Uh, we got to recircle back in about an hour's time straight after this, trying to let property to um, one of my colleagues who's brilliant at what she does, Stevie. She found a tenant for a house that I'm solely marketing. So that's a, that's a 30,000 pounds a week, five year rent. That's four and a half million pounds in rent uh, that we're trying to execute <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, People would say it's quite highly pressurized. Yeah. I've been here, I've done it. Yeah. I can see where it's gonna go before it goes there. And then after this, we've got um, a few meetings and one, one viewing. And, mm. then, and then I'm gonna go home, get changed, and go to football training. But is he still playing football? I'm trying to. I tore my hamstring not long ago, and, uh, and I lost a bit of confidence, to be honest with you. When the sprinting? Just, yeah, the sprinting. I, I tore my right hamstring, and then, and then I tore my meniscus in my right knee before oh, a big God. tournament. And then I had to work on that and lost so much of my muscle tissue. It was insane. Worked on that, went to this tournament, came back lean and fit. Yeah. And then tore my left hamstring. Oh. And so um, that's been about a year and a half. And, and tonight I'm going to go back with the guys at the football team to see if I can still kick it. Fair enough. Right. Okay. So with every podcast and every guest that I have on, mm. I always ask anyone that's following just to ask any questions sure. and obviously some people have asked and said let Nathan I really want to know what Danny Dagger is all about what does he do so a few questions from these guys sure. um, and you can make them as short or as long as you like yep. um, at what point in your career did uh, did you know that you wanted to stay in the property business so I suppose what they mean by that is you know like some people go from job to job to job at some point there was like there must have been ups and downs you thought ah, property is my never, thing okay so it, so it was super simple for me i was never told i was any good at anything when it came to work or studying <laughs> right yeah. no one ever said you'd be great at this yeah. so no one i didn't lose any focus my focus was there that yeah. was it this is this is my job and i remember other people doing i had some friends in in at the time um they went into recruitment and these guys were flying absolutely flying and there's me at my desk earning very little. Yeah. My, my first salary was £7,000 a year. Wow. Okay, and I wasn't earning much on top of that. And I remember, I remember just thinking to myself, 
just get really good at this and everything will be fine. Yeah. And I just, I, I like the journey. I just like learning stuff. I'm never now, I'm in an industry now right at the top where it's very, very, very rare for me to have my back against the wall and not have an answer. Yeah. And, and I was just happy to do the journey. I did get offered a job at Goldman Sachs once. I had a buyer who was a lovely guy. Yeah. And he said to me, do you want to come and work at Goldman Sachs? <laughs> and I said to him, I was 21. And you know, that's like a highlight job. Absolutely, yeah, for like, sure. It's massive. And I remember saying to him, I was so naive. I remember saying to him, well, what, what time? Because a friend of mine worked, worked at Merrill Lynch or Bank of America now. And he said, um, what time do you have to wake up? He said, uh, oh, probably you have to wake up at five. I was like, no, all right, thanks. Do you want to buy the apartment? <laughs> I love that. Do you want to wake up at five o'clock? So I suppose the idea, you know, so when you knew that you were good at it, you just thought that was it. Like you knew, you found your niche. I was, I was getting better every, every day. year. Yeah, right? every day. Every day, yeah. every minute, I was getting better. I was learning from the journey. I love that. All yeah. right. Uh, what's been your toughest challenge in real estate? Um, God, that's really stumped me. It's the toughest challenge. Back against the wall now, Dan. I think, I think, when, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think winning people's trust yeah. is the most important thing for me. And because in our industry, real estate agents and brokers have a bad name because our barrier to entry is low. Yeah. Okay. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Um, winning people's trust is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully, it's taken me a long time to do it. Yeah. Um. But I've won the trust of a lot of people and and that's the one thing I'm most happy about. Yeah, okay. Being a trustful estate agent. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Um, have you ever thought about setting up your own agency? Sure. What sure. stopped you from doing it? Hasn't really suited me. No? It hasn't really suited me. Look, my, my the business that I'm in is an amazing business. Yeah. It's global and I'm learning and learning and learning. And it's given me an amazing platform to travel the world, meet fascinating people, and, and understand the business fully. I think there's massive changes happening yeah. okay, in this world, massive. It's, I don't, we're at a point where everyone is connected, mm -hmm. um, so connections aren't as important. Yeah. So that's definitely gonna have an impact on our industry um, because no one's a stranger. And also, because people will know if you're a good person or a bad person very easily, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, it's like the Jewish mafia in North London, right? I'm Jewish. If I want to know anything about a Jewish person practically across the planet, I can make five phone calls, right? <laughs> now, now, now everyone can do that. Yeah. Now literally everyone can do that. So responsibility lies with the person mm -hmm. and that's going to have a major impact on the world, right? Because we're all connected. Um, and I know I keep saying that, but it is vitally important. Um, and so we'll see, what, we'll see where the world leads us. Okay, never know. All right. Um, any advice on how to get into Knight Frank graduate scheme? Uh, apply. Does that even exist? Yes, it there does. is a graduate okay. scheme. Um, I, know, I mean, I do uh, masterclass talks for, for the graduates that come into our business. Yeah. And, and uh, I, think they, I think it's just make an application off our website. That's what you've got to do? Yeah, I think so. And then you go through a couple of tests and exams and bits and pieces like that. Um, look, We want to, I suppose as a business, you want educated people to come into an industry like this, okay? Because you want your business to improve. Yeah. But to put it into perspective, last year I sold 241 million pounds worth of property and brought to the market a billion pounds worth of real estate. So that's me advising individual people, not developers with thousands of flats, no. individual people on their assets, 
pricing, strategy of marketing, showing how to route it, um, negotiations, execution of trade. Billion pounds. And some of those are in Paris and other places around the world. I'm saying this because I'm the guy who came out of school with two Bs, three Cs, and the rest were Ds and GCSEs. Okay? Mm -hmm. I don't have an A-level. And I'm at the top of our business. And I trade a lot of real estate. And I'm one of the most respected people on the planet at what I do. And I take that with a huge amount of responsibility, pride, and hard work that has taken me here. But maybe the business would have missed out on me mm. if, if they would just look at the grades. Yep. And so I'm a bit concerned by that. Mm -hmm. And I think grades are less important in this world. Yep. Creative thinking and hard work and playing long game, I think is more valuable than A. Yes. Unless you want to be a doctor. Yeah. Because I don't really care <laughs> if, you can, if you can tell great jokes and great stories. I want to know that you know how to become a doctor, right? Yeah. So it depends. Um, qualifications are important, but in our industry, it's, it's vitally important you understand the business. Yeah. Um, so that's the graduate just, scheme and my views on, on yeah, youth. Like just, I think you're right. I think everyone should just apply. You, is there a way then? I mean, do you ever look at the applications that come through? I mean, or have you got, sort of gone part? No. You're not. I, I, I can't get involved with everything no. as much as I'd like to. Like, I love helping Did you kids. ever? Did you ever sort I, of take I, people I, on? I, I love helping yeah. uh, people. I love it. It yeah. gives me so much happiness. I can't tell you. When I do my masterclass with the kids, I, I pose the question. I had a room of 15, 15 young guys and girls in the business. And, and they get taught about our business and global and culture and everything. And I sit down and I say, okay, right, great. Who's a fee earner here? So who's an agent? So they'll go, me, 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 me. And I'm like, okay. So, so what happens when, when a very nice Arab lady in a hijab turns up to come and see a property for, for a million pounds or five million pounds? How do you greet her? Mm. Right? How do you greet? Now, I remember this. I have a huge amount of empathy because I remember this being a kid yeah. and going, I don't know how to say hello to this woman. Yeah. Like, do I put my hand out to <gasps> shake her hand? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Do I wave? Yeah. Well, that's a bit embarrassing. I definitely don't hug her. <laughs> right? And I'm not going to high five her because I don't think I can touch her. But then what do I do? Yeah. Now, these kids have got no idea because yeah. no one teaches them about stuff like this on how to greet somebody. Yeah. You don't put your hand out unless she puts her hand out, mm -hmm. right? And then you, 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 you kindly accept. Yeah, of course. There's so many little things about how to show a piece of real estate, how to walk around a property. All right, let's go into that. How mm. would you show a piece of real estate? Because some would say that they like to talk and tell the features, some that just be quiet, don't say anything. And that was something that say, I always used to do. So, so no, so that's wrong. Why? You, don't, you can't do that, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't ask someone, like, you say I'm selling a five million pound property and it's a 2% fee and it's a 100,000 pound fee and you just open the door and walk around with that person and you want to earn a 100,000 pound for your business, you're not offering a different, you're not offering enough value, just right? Just have a walk around. Yeah, just have a walk around. Just sit on the sofa. Yeah, exactly. All that sort of stuff. Look, cool. there are, there, you, you have to show a huge amount of empathy. Mm -hmm. You have to understand your client and customer. Yeah. Does your customer the person who's coming in to see the property want you to talk you through the asset with them mm -hmm. all right and how much do they want you to talk well why don't you ask them yeah great shout yeah why, why don't you ask them firstly i think that it's unbelievably important they have fun yeah unbelievably important i have a giggle all the time with my people yeah on the basis that i know that i can mm -hmm. um 
but I want it to be fun. Yeah. Why? I want it, one, because I want them to enjoy the property and the viewing. Yeah. And if they like the house, the house will do part of the selling itself. Sure. Yeah, I need to point out elements of the house or the flat or whatever it may be, the penthouse or the views um, when they come about on the journey. Yeah. But I want them to have fun. But I want them to have fun for different reasons as long game. Is that if they buy the property or they don't buy the property and they do buy from someone else, I want them to remember me as a nice human that they mm -hmm. had good fun with. Yeah. Because the likelihood is, call on average, in seven years' time, yeah. on average, in seven years' time, maybe not now, but in seven years' time, they will come to sell it. And when I walk through their door for the, after they'd met me once before, because yeah. this is a long game, I'm, I've half won. Yeah. Right? I've never done that. So when I worked in St. John's Wood in my office, I played massive long game. Yeah. I was like, okay, anyone wants to sell their property, I'm not going to not take it on because of price, mm -hmm. as long as it's reasonable. Yeah. Because we can afford to keep it because we're a big business. So every property over five million pounds, I had in St. John's Wood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I could execute the marketing campaign and bits and pieces like that, and they liked my attitude to business and so on and so on. So I had all the properties, which meant that I would have all the buyers direct, mm -hmm. or if the agent from somewhere else has a buyer. If that buyer bought one of our properties, we'd have the property, we'd earn a fee. But if they bought something else, they would remember me because they'd definitely come across me. Yeah. And I was going to be there in my career. So I played long game. Yeah, makes sense. It made loads of sense. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I captured that market and I don't think anyone in the past, I don't know, eight years has sold more property over five million pounds than me. Mr. Daniel Decker. No, like, it's not a blag. It's not about that. It was, no, just, it was like a concept of business. Like, how are we going to do this? We're going to do it for the right reasons. We're going to play long game. But you should be proud of, like, you know, I'm, I'm proud of whatever I've done. I'm humble at the same time. But you should, well, it doesn't matter. If you sold more properties than any, you know, more, five, more than no, five. No, no, I get that. I get that. Absolutely. But, but what happens is, is, I know, and I, and I do enjoy it. It's funny. I, I was speaking to... Um, to someone very influential, yeah. really influential. And we were talking about psychology, we were talking about people, we were talking about arrogance, we were talking about ego, we were talking about what drives business and so on and so on. And, and they said to me, um, you'll probably misconstrue quite a bit. And I was like, go on, tell me more. And because we we're having a bit of banter. And he said, uh, a lot of people probably think you're um, you've got a big ego. Yeah. He said, but you don't. So I said, okay, well, how do you, how do you explain that? Because I don't think I do either. No, you don't. Um, and he says, it's very simple. Your ego is, is whether or not you're benchmarking yourself against other people or not, right? So you don't benchmark against other people. You do what you think do is right. And you don't focus on what everyone else is doing. You learn from other people, yeah. but you don't benchmark. No, that's right. And so you're not running an egotistical shop. Mm -hmm. You're doing what you think is right. And that gave me a lot of confidence. He was like, oh, okay, now I can, now I can explain this. Yeah. And so, yes, I'm very proud about what I do. And I'll get tongues wagging on my social media because I'll say stuff to get people's tongues wagging. Yeah. Right? But I want good for everybody. Yeah. Like, it's not about me. me. No. I don't share secrets with, you know, um, about how I execute business um, because it's going to benefit me. No, it's not going to benefit me. It's going to benefit other people. people. Yeah. But I feel, because of what we spoke about before, our responsibility is there. Yeah. 
What three, if, you know, if someone's looking to start a business, be an estate agent, whatever it might be, just be a good person, what three key words do you sort of take with you every day? What sort of, to be successful? Integrity, be yourself. Yeah. Right, as long as you're coming from a good place. If you start hating on other people, you're in a bad place, you need to fix up, (laughs) right? You need to appreciate what they're doing, understand what they're doing, and then implement in your own strategy. You need to have, you need to be consistent in everything, whether it's been personal relationships, you know, your wife, your husband, your kids, or business. And I would say, huge amount of energy. Yeah. Energy is really important. Nice, I like the energy one. Not yeah. heard that one before. Consistency is a big one, but energy is yeah. quite good because it's true. You do need an abundance of energy. But if you're lethargic, you're not <sighs> going to. You're not going to get anywhere. No, you're not. Right? It's really, really tough. So I want people who've got that. If there was a message you were going to give to the guys out there, what would it be? Like, you know, what, what sort of, like, what message could you give to them? Say, like, I don't know, like, fight every day, or I don't know what it. What would it be? What's your message to your guys on a daily basis? Oh, so I've got this little thing that I say to myself, which is um, um, uh, be good, do good, feel good. I like that. Okay, that's, that's what I say to myself. It's a little slogan that I've got for myself. Be good, do good, feel good. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. And, and feeling good mm-hmm. will, will, will naturally um, give you just this, put you in this amazing place where people want to be around you and want to talk to you and want to embrace stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and I've definitely felt that over the past year because I've implemented certain things in my life that I wanted to clean up. Um, and, and, and so that's what I would say would be a good thing to do. I love that. That's yeah. really good. Thank you. Daniel Daggers, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Oh, okay. Thanks, man. Guys, Appreciate it. Daniel Daggers has been in the house. If you've got any questions, if you've liked the YouTube video, if you've liked listening to the podcast, Give it a thumbs up. If you don't like it, give it a thumbs down. That's absolutely fine. We no, like, it's not. We like, no, it's not we, fine. We like, we like criticism. It's fine. That's how we learn. Yeah. Um, but I'll drop all of Daniel's details Thank in you. the video. It'll be in the description below. Daniel, once again, absolute pleasure. Thank Thanks you, a lot. I we'll really see you soon. It. Take care, guys. See ya. Bye.